This is the Life Church Podcast. For more messages, to watch our live stream, or to find other events, go to lifechurchnow.org. Well, good morning, everybody, and those of you watching online, good morning. Glad you're joining us. Um, we're in this series called Small Things Matter, and um, last week I kicked it off. I'm just jumping right in because I went over on the first service. I'm just not going to waste any time. We're just going to get right in it, okay? Uh, but uh, uh, last week we kicked off with this verse, uh, kind of a sobering verse, uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. It says, don't be misled. Okay, don't be deceived. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. Okay, you can't try to, you can't try to pull the wool over on God. God sees everything. You will always, emphasis on the always, you will always harvest what you plant. You will always harvest what you plant. So in this series, Small Things Matter, The way we define small things is the things that are easy to do and also easy not to do. There are things that are easy to do and there are things that are easy not to do. They're easy to do because anybody can do them, right? But it's also true, equally true, that those things that are small are also easy not to do, right? Like... It's easy to just drink water instead of soda. It's also true that it's easy to just stop it coming and go and buy a soda for a dollar. That's my problem. I confess. It's easy to wake up 15 minutes early for prayer in the morning. But you know what's also easy? Pressing the snooze button. There are things that are easy to do and there are things that are easy not to do. And that's really what ultimately matters. That's what we talked about last week, that our lives are built upon the compounding effect, the cumulative effect of small thing after 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 small thing. And so therefore we need to look at the small things. We need to pay attention to the small things. I like how C.S. Lewis talks about it. He, uh, he, uses, <clears throat> he uses a mix of metaphors in this little passage I'm going to read from his book, but he, uh, he uses uh, like a financial metaphor and then he uses a military metaphor. That's what he says. Good and evil both increase at compound interest. Okay, so he's using a financial metaphor that both good, the good things in our life, the evil things in our life, they increase at compound interest. That is why the little decisions you and I make every day are of such infinite importance. The small things matter. That's what he's saying. The smallest good act today is the capture, and he switches to the military metaphor, the smallest good act today is the capture of a strategic point from which a few months later, you may be able to go on to the victories you never dreamed of. The smallest little act today can lead to victory in the future. An apparently trivial indulgence in lust or anger today is the loss of a ridge or a railway line or bridgehead from which the enemy may launch an attack otherwise impossible. Small things matter. He says that the seemingly insignificant decisions that we make, they, have, they are of infinite importance. And this is where we've been in this series. That's what we've been talking about. The law of sowing and reaping. And because the law of sowing and reaping, reaping is always, always in play. It's law. 
It's happening. Whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, it's just happening. Because it's always in play, then the question we need to consider is, is it working for me, the law of sowing and reaping, is it working for me or is it working against me? Is it working for me or is it working against me? Are the seeds that I'm planting now, are they benefiting me or are they hurting me? See, I might, you might, not me, you might jump out of an airplane. I would never do that. Um, so don't ask. Unless you have a million dollar check to give me, then maybe I, I might. I'm not even sure if I'd do it then, but anyway. Uh, you, you might jump out of an airplane, and as soon as you jump out of the airplane, immediately the, the law of gravity is working against you. Immediately. Uh, you know, you might feel like you're trying to reach, you try to grab back into the plane, but you can't. There's no, no possible way. You are beginning to drop. And you might try to tell yourself there might be a little bit of a positive confession. You might close your eyes and say, this is not happening to me. This is not happening to me. This is not happening to me. But I don't care how much you try to confess yourself out of it. The fact is that at some point, you're going to reach 122 miles per hour terminal velocity and you eventually are going to splat. Unless you have a parachute. Right? And so when you pull that chute, instantly, now the law of gravity is working for you. It was working against you. Now it's working for you. Because if you didn't have a gravitational pull and you opened up a chute and you had all this air resistance, who knows where you'd float away to? And so the combination of the air resistance of the parachute and the law of gravity, you actually safely land. Well, somebody safely lands. I don't, but somebody will, right? So it's either working for you or it's working against you, the law of sowing and reaping. Steve Sherman, he attends our church here, and he, I guess I didn't know this. I didn't know this 100%, but I, I'd heard but that he's like really big into tomatoes. Steve, are you in the room right now? I don't think you are. Uh, he's really big in tomatoes. Every year they plant tomatoes. And so after service last Sunday, he thought he'd show me some pictures of something funny that happened to him. Um, he had this plan of planting uh, big boy tomatoes in his garden. He was going to get a harvest of tomatoes. He showed me this, this uh, little tag here. Big boy tomato matures in 78 days, fruit size 10 ounces. You know, so he's super excited about having big boy tomatoes. He's gunning for big boy tomatoes. He's ready to have big boy tomatoes. And then... And then he shows me the next picture. This is what he harvested. <laughs> Cherry tomatoes. <clears throat> so we've been talking, using the, the language of seed planting, you know, and the seed that you plant, that's what you're going to get. And so I don't care how much, I don't care how much Steve desired to have big boy tomatoes. The fact that he planted a cherry tomato, that's what he got. And so some kid must have had a lot of fun at Lowe's switching out tags. I don't know what, what, what happened there. but So Paul, the Apostle Paul is going to talk to us about this. Last week his words were some words of warning to us that we can't mock God, that whatever we plant we're going to harvest. Today we're going to look at a passage where it's really words of hope and encouragement. And some of you really need to hear this. In fact, I feel like I could say this in a kind of a prophetic way. You're not here by accident. There's some of you sitting in this room right now that, that you were led here by the Holy Spirit. Whether you know that or not, you were led here by the Holy Spirit because God has a word for you. God wants to bring hope into your life. He wants to challenge you 
He wants to speak to your life. He brought you here to hear this today. So Paul says this in Galatians 6, 9. He says, let us not become weary in doing good. Let's not grow tired in doing good. Let's not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Paul's saying, look, let's not become tired or worn out doing what we know God wants us to do, doing what we know is the will of God for our lives. Let's not get tired in doing it. I know that some of you right now, you've been putting in the time in your marriage, into your kids, into your finances, into your health. You're putting in the time, you're putting in the effort, you've planted the seeds, but you look at the harvest and you're saying, where is the harvest? And you might feel tired. And you might feel weary. And you might be wondering, is this, is this, is this, is this all for naught? And Paul would say to you, don't grow weary. Don't grow weary. Don't get tired. Don't give up. If you keep doing the right thing in due time, you will reap the harvest. I like how the New, New Living Translation puts this in just the right time. In just the right time, you're going to reap this harvest, Right? So we're going to look at an Old Testament example of the law of sowing and reaping. It's the story of Nehemiah. Now, I don't really have enough time in this day to talk about all the dynamics of what led to Nehemiah going back to Jerusalem and all that kind of stuff, but I'm going to talk a little bit about it, so just kind of follow along with me, and if you'd like to know more, you can go back and read the book of Nehemiah, or Ezra and Nehemiah. But uh, Nehemiah, he is a cupbearer. In, 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 the, in the court of King Artaxerxes of Persia. So we read that, we think, oh, cupbearer, that must be kind of like some kind of honorable position. But the reality is, is that a cupbearer is a slave position. The cupbearer was a guy who had to take a sip of a cup of wine before he handed it to the king just in case somebody poisoned it. And then if he dropped dead, then the king said, well, I'm not drinking that wine. <laughs> so, so that was the role of the cupbearer. He's a slave. He's living in Persia. 140 years earlier, Jerusalem had been destroyed. The walls had been ransacked. The gate had been burnt. Nehemiah probably has never, ever seen the city of Jerusalem. He's now an exile. He's a slave in Persia. But he hears this news that bad things are happening in Jerusalem. He hears that the wall has been destroyed and the gate has been burnt. And this is how he responds to that news. When I heard about these things, about the wall destroyed and the gate burnt, when I heard about these things, I sat down and I wept. His heart is moved. He's stirred. He feels heartache over some seeds that were planted. Seeds that were planted way before he ever was around. Seeds that were planted by his ancestors, which led to the destruction of the, of, the, of the city of Jerusalem and the destroying of the wall. These seeds have been planted. He had nothing to do with it, and yet now he is harvesting those seeds. He's a slave in Persia. And I know some of you get that because you look around at your own life and you say, hey, look, the stuff that's happening to me, I didn't do that. It was my parents. My parents' divorce led to this. Or, or my grandparents' My, my grandfather just didn't know how to handle money and he just squandered everything and, and now look at the life that I have to live and maybe that's how you feel and maybe you, that's where you're thinking but here's what you need to understand. Our tendency is to look at and focus in on who was at fault. 
Our tendency is to look at my, our parents and say, it's because of their divorce that I've got such a bad life right now. And that's all we see. But Nehemiah doesn't do that. He moves quickly to responsibility. Instead of focusing in and mourning in on, on what was done 140 years before, he instead has this attitude, how can I change this? What can I possibly, what seed can I plant so that my children will not face what I have been facing? How can I change the circumstances of, of my life and thus change the circumstances of the generations that follow me? And so he you know, just moves into action. Latter part of verse four says, for some days after he heard this news, for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. He begins with prayer. And I want to challenge you with that. Sometimes you find yourself stuck. Sometimes you're reaping a harvest you don't want to be reaping. You're looking at your life situation. You're saying, this is not where I want to be. And you might be tempted to kind of come up with some quick fixes. You might be tempted to try to figure out, you know, if I just lean into that person, if I lean into that person, if I complain enough about this situation, maybe it'll get fixed. And maybe the place where we need to start is in prayer. Maybe that's the starting point, is to pray. So he prays and God begins to work in some miraculous ways. And I don't have enough time to tell you all that happened, but basically he ends up back in Jerusalem and rebuilding, rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. In the early chapters, things are going good. I mean, there's a lot of optimism. They're excited because they're there. They're back in Jerusalem. They've got a, a whole team of construction people that are back to build the walls up in, in Jerusalem. And so they're, they're starting to put brick on brick on brick on brick. And there's a, an excitement about that. But it's not long before they begin to face opposition. I think one of the things that oftentimes causes us to grow weary in our Christian walk, because Christianity can be hard, living the Christian life can be really hard, but I think sometimes what causes us to grow weary or d- discouraged in our walk is that we weren't expecting that to happen. We thought that because I made the right decision, because I made the choice to start planting good seed, that it would be smooth sailing, that somehow or another I'm going to be able to overcome this very easily. But opposition comes our way, and so we grow weary, we want to quit, And so for Nehemiah, it came in the form of discouraging people, specifically two guys, a guy named Samballot and Tobiah. I mean, these guys were haters. Every time they had an opportunity, they criticized Nehemiah. They criticized the work that they were doing. This is what Samballot says in verse 2. You can almost feel the sarcasm in what he's saying. "What What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Because he's probably observing them and they're excited about rebuilding the wall. They're excited about going back and, you know, seeing this, this wall being restored for Jerusalem. And, and so they're saying, what, do they think they're actually going to build it back up in a day? <clears throat> Can they bring those stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? This is a little bit of sarcasm going on. Then his buddy Tobiah chimes in. He says, what are they building? Like, like he looks at the wall, he's like, what is that? What is that in front of me that I see? Is it a wall? And then he says, if even a fox climbed up on it, and like a fox, a little light animal, climbs up on this wall, he would break down their wall of stones. But again, just mocking, it's like telling them, you are wasting your time, your efforts are worthless. So that's what these guys do. They come on the scene and they criticize <clears throat> 
And I understand it because so often when we decide to make the right decision, the circumstances around us, they look so ragtag. They look so, so broken, so dysfunctional. It's like it's hard to even see anything on the other side of that. And that's where these guys are. Maybe you have somebody like that in your life. That they seem to be, you know, kind of remind you all the time of all the bad seed that you've planted. They remind you all the time of how hopeless your situation is. I don't know, maybe you do, maybe you don't have that. Maybe, you, maybe you've decided, maybe you had this word from God that you're going to do some things differently in your marriage. That you're going to make some changes in your marriage. That you're going to actually, actually do the right thing in your marriage. And you go to your spouse and you say to her or to him, you say, listen, um, uh, you know, I feel like God's speaking to me. I feel like I need to do something differently. This is what, I'm, what I plan on doing. And before you even get your words out, she rolls her eyes. I say, oh, Really? Really, now you're going to do that? Really? Now, you, you, like, like you've done that a few times before? You've tried a few? Is it, any, is it going to be any different this time? Really? And so you feel discouraged. You feel like quitting. Or maybe you've made a decision to ch- ch- do some changes physically. You're going to lose some weight. You're going you're gonna, to uh, eat better. You're going to start working out. And... Um, and you have a buddy you think that's really going to be, you know, championing you and, and encouraging you, but you go to your buddy and your buddy's like, no, dude, you're, it's too late for you, man. <laughs> you'll, never, you'll never change your habits. You'll never, do, you'll never be able to do that. Listen, we, we need each other. If we don't have each other, we will, we will definitely go down towards the path of discouragement and defeat. We need each other. And so the challenge for us in this situation where you might find yourself, even if you have a friend that's trying to plant some new seeds, you have a friend that's trying to do some new things in their life, they're trying to make some changes, and as rough as it might look, as difficult as it might sound, the changes that they want to make, instead of discouraging them, why don't you stand up next to them and say, hey, I'm cheering you on. I'm believing in you. Yes, I know, you've tried 15 times, but this time, this time God's going to work on your behalf. Because we need each other. Hebrews kind of encourages us on this. It challenges us on this. It says, and let us consider. In other words, this speaks of intentionality. Let us be intentional. Let us consider how we may spur, how we may help or, or push or encourage, how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We need each other. So Nehemiah, Nehemiah he has this opposition. But the progress still continues. And it says in verse 6, so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all of their heart. I love this. When I read this verse, I love this. For the people worked with all their heart. I mean, it's just like so encouraging. People are just giving everything to seeing this wall rebuilt, and it reaches half its height. Now, that's really encouraging. It's, it's significant what's happened, but half its height. Like, I go to the gym, and I set my treadmill usually to 35 minutes. That's my normal setting. I set it to 35 minutes, and when I'm at 17 minutes, I'm like, I'm dead. I'm like, I want to get off the treadmill right now, you know? And it's only halfway. It's only halfway. And so I, I, may, I don't actually, at the 17-minute at the mark, I'm like, man, look how far you've gone, Rich. I'm thinking, oh, man, I got 70, 18 more minutes to go. This is This is hard. Some of you, and me too, we have projects at, at our house that, that are half done, <laughs> right? 
I mean, we started out with a bang. We were so sure that bathroom remodel was just to be a piece of cake. We'll be done in no time. It's going to be great. And then it's, you know, it's been a few years and you, you're making promises that it's going to be done, but it's not done, right? The halfway point can be a place where it's easy to grow weary. It's easy to be discouraged. In fact, look what it says in verse 10 of chapter 4. The people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. We're tired. We're halfway and we're tired. Much like my treadmill. I'm halfway and I'm tired. And there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. So you have discouraging people. Sometimes you have disappointing progress. You thought that things would be further along. You thought that the wall would be further built, Right? And really, that's the challenge of the cumulative effect. The cumulative effect is about doing things over and over again, over and over again, over a period of time. We sometimes discount that. We sometimes don't see that, right? We don't see the harvest as soon as we hope for, and so we get tired. We get discouraged. I mean, I've done the right thing. I was doing it. I've been trying. I've been working hard, but I'm not seeing any results because it's taking so long. So you might say to yourself, my kids are too old. I mean, our relationship is broken, and I wish it was restored. So my kids are told, I just don't think it's going to happen. Or my marriage, my marriage is too broken. I mean, I've just, I've done so many things that have just worked against the marriage that there's just no way I can see any hope in this. It's just too broken. My friend is too bitter. My debt is too big. My addiction is too strong. I know that I should be trying But I've tried and tried, and I think maybe this is the harvest I'm supposed to be settling with. And we get there. I'm sure that was the conversation of of these workers. I mean, it was 140 years. 140 years since the city had been destroyed. I mean, if anything was going to happen, it should have already happened by now, right? You can almost say, if something's... If something's been in in shambles for 140 years, it's just going to stay in shambles for the rest of its life. We grow weary when the mindset begins to set in. And I think some of you are there. You're there in your health. You're there in your marriage. You're there in your finances. You're just not seeing the results that you expected. I'm sure you've probably heard of the Chinese bamboo tree. Anybody heard of the Chinese bamboo tree? Some of you have heard of the Chinese bamboo tree. Well, Chinese bamboo tree is a very unique tree because the seed takes five years to germinate. So you plant the seed, year one comes around, nothing. Year two, nothing. Year three, nothing. Year four, nothing. Year five, nothing. And finally, after year five, you start seeing a little bit coming up off the ground, out of the ground. Now, that would be discouraging. And in fact, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking of the first ever Chinese bamboo tree farmer. Can you imagine how discouraging that was? The first ever Chinese bamboo tree farmer. Like, I, I know exactly what happened. A, a, a seed salesman showed up, and he comes in, and he says, hey, man, I noticed that you have no Chinese bamboo trees in this area. You can corner the market if you will just plant some Chinese bamboo trees. In fact, I've got seeds here, got a great deal for you. You could buy these seeds and, and plant them, and you will, you will be the Chinese bamboo farmer of the area. This is your, I mean, it's, sky's the limit. One little caveat, it takes a little while for it to grow, but you will, you will own the market. 
So the guy's excited. He buys the seeds, you know, and he starts planting rows of bamboo tree, uh, you know, row after row of bamboo trees and uh, Chinese bamboo trees. And, and so about six months pass, and his wife is like, hey, uh, how's it going out there? I've seen you've been working every day for the last six months. I mean, I know you're working really hard, but it looks like dirt. <laughs> That's what it looks like out there, just dirt. She's already discouraging him. A year passes and she's like, are you sure? Are you sure you actually planted the seeds? Like, are you sure that you actually planted the seeds? Because maybe you forgot, like you forgot our anniversary the other day. Maybe you forgot to plant the seeds too. Are you sure you actually planted those seeds? He keeps working the field. Fourth year rolls around. She's mad. She's like, man, he's been working for four years on that field. Nothing Nothing is happening. So he comes in from work one day and, you know, and he's been working the field, comes in and she's like, how's it going out there? How's it going out there with our invisible Chinese bamboo tree farm? Maybe I will do some invisible laundry and cook you an invisible meal or something, you know? She's discouraging him. There's no progress. And so he can't quit now. I mean... All this time that was spent, so he keeps working. And then year five rolls around, and within six weeks, I mean, nothing for five years, within six weeks, the Chinese bamboo tree goes from zero to 90 feet, just like that. And he turns to his wife and says, I told you. I don't know, that's not what he said. But anyways, here's what I know. I think some of you are in that five-year season. That's why I believe that you're here today, because God wants to speak to you. You're in that five-year season where you really, you've not seen any progress. And you're wondering, it's just taking so much longer than I thought it would take. And so the Apostle Paul tells us, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't grow weary. Nehemiah is tired. Maybe he too is struggling with the progress of the wall. And I love what it says about Nehemiah. It says that, that when he's struggling, he prays. He prays. Twelve times in the book of Nehemiah, you find that after discouragement or after, you know, somebody comes along and criticizes him, he prays. We tend to discount that because we think the real work is out on the field, planting the seed. The real work is out there, you know, tilling the ground and doing all. That's what we think the real work is. But it's prayer that actually, you know, cultivates the seed. It's prayer that prepares the ground. And so he prays and God really begins to work on their behalf. The Apostle Paul was frustrated with the church in Galatia, and it was kind of their story that, you know, they had, they had uh, started out doing good, and, but then they just kind of got discouraged, and they started going a different direction, you know. And he had preached them about the power of God, about the power of the Holy Spirit, how they needed to walk in the Spirit, but they had forgotten some of that. And this is what he says in Galatians 3.3. 3. He says, are you so foolish? He's calling the Galatians foolish. Are you so foolish after being with the Spirit, as beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? He's like, this is not a good plan for you. I've already talked to you about what it means. And then after this, he begins to encourage them to walk in the Spirit, to cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit, to pray for God to start moving on your behalf, to pray that God will begin to help you through the challenges that you're facing. 
You see, we need the power of God in our lives. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our, in our lives. And so Nehemiah, he prays, and this is, how, this is what he concludes. Nehemiah 4.20, God will fight for us. God will fight for us. You keep doing the right thing. You keep putting one brick on, on, the, on that wall at a time. You just keep putting the bricks on, keep putting the bricks on, keep planting it seed after seed after seed. It may not feel like much is happening, but God is fighting for you. You're hearing me, God is fighting for you. So don't grow weary. You're not alone in this battle. God is fighting for you. It might seem like it's broken right now. There's not a whole lot of hope. You're not sure if anything's gonna result. You're lacking hope. You wanna give up. You might feel like what you're doing is not making a difference. But don't stop planting the seed. Don't quit. Don't give up because God is working for you. So when your child doesn't return your phone call, her heart seems just hard towards you, keep planting the seed. Keep planting the seed. Keep planting the seed. You stumble, you take a drink, or you log on to that website. You get angry and you explode, or you gamble the money away. Just get back up. Keep planting the seed. Keep planting the seed. Keep planting the seed. Maybe you have this unexpected expense that sets back your plan to be debt-free. Again, just get back, keep planting a seed, keep planting a seed. When your spouse begins to, you know, you're, you're, you're trying, you're working hard, but she responds to your efforts with criticism and sarcasm, just, just keep planting the seed, keep praying, keep planting the seed. The story of Nehemiah is really a story of, of sowing and reaping. It's 140 years of disrepair, 140 years of destruction. And Nehemiah and the people, they they begin to do the work of the wall. And if you read the first four chapters of Nehemiah, what it sounds like is this is taking forever. And you might feel that way about your circumstances, that this is taking forever. I've tried, I've been working it, I've been working it, and maybe it is taking a year or two or three or five years. It's taking so long. Listen to Nehemiah 6, verse 15. They started in chapter 1. It says, so the wall was completed in 52 days. It's amazing what perspective does. 140 years of disrepair. 52 days the wall was done and built. Maybe after five days, they they were beginning to feel a little bit discouraged. After 15 days, it's like, okay, we've been working pretty hard, and look at all the rubble around here. Look at all the trash, all the stuff we have to deal with. After 26 days, they get to that halfway point, like, we're only halfway. Man, this is ridiculous. I don't even know if we're ever going to be able to finish. But they finished the wall in 52 days. 140 years versus 52 days. I want you to think about that. It might seem impossible, your situation. But we serve the, the God of the harvest, the Lord of the harvest. And what is impossible, if you start planting the right seed, he can turn it around even in 52 days. He can. So what I want to do is I want to challenge you today to look at the seed that you're planting. What seeds are you planting? 
are, <clears throat> is the law of sowing and reaping working for you or is it working against you? Are you planting seeds right now that, you know, it's the bars on Friday night, you know, the, the hookups and this and that and whatever, and hey, it's fun for now. It's just minor. I'll do something different tomorrow. But remember, the law of the harvest. You're planting seeds that one day will bring forth the harvest. It's working against you. Or are you doing the hard work in your relationship? Are you doing the hard work in your marriage? Are you doing the hard work spiritually? What are the seeds that you're planting? And I want to challenge you today because I know exactly what happens when Pastor Rich gets up here and he says, hey, I want to challenge you today. Your mind immediately says, okay, I'll start tomorrow. That's exactly what we do. I want to challenge you to know, okay, yeah, check, Rich, tomorrow. We'll, do, we'll start. And man, have I had sat down with people who I knew needed to hear what I was saying and they said tomorrow. <laughs> and tomorrow never came. So the challenge is today, will you start planting the right seed? What is that seed? You know what it is. I don't have to tell you. You know what seed you need to be planting in your marriage. You know what seeds you need to be planting in your finances. You know what seeds you need to be planting in your spirituality, in your relationship with Jesus. You know. I don't have to tell you because you know exactly what they are. The challenge is, will you do it today? Or you keep just putting it off. And here's what happens is that over time, we put it off over time, over time, over time. What happens is one day we look back and we say to ourselves, wow, I can't believe I harvested all of that. It's not what I wanted. It's not the path I wanted to take. It's not the highway I wanted to be on. But look where I'm at right now. And I really, really regret it. Because there was one day that I could have made a decision to make a different choice. So what seeds are you planting? Here's what I'm asking you to do. You see, you have these communication cards. This is how we're going to end. Um, Jairus is going to lead us here in a song in a few minutes, in a minute. But what I'm asking you to do is, what seed, what dream do you have for your preferable future? What is it? Your marriage. What's the dream that you have for your marriage? Your wife, your husband. What's the dream that you have for your wife or your husband? What's the dream that you have for your children? What's the dream that you have for your finances? What's the dream that you have for your life? What's the dream that, most importantly, what's the dream that you have for your relationship with Jesus Christ? What I want you to do is I want you to put that on here and say, hey, this is what I, this is the seed I want to plant. The reason I want you to do this is because I want to take them and I'm going to read them. And I want to pray over them as well because what I'm hoping is that 52 days from now, you might come up to me and say, hey, by the way, you know what? I made that decision 52 days ago. And God has turned my life around. That's what he wants to do in your life today. Amen. Let's worship.